Welcome to this latest episode of the podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to pass along this announcement. The Archiving Technical Theater History Facebook group began participating in an online mentorship program. Recently, I made a series of posts that translates into different languages from the Archiving Technical Theater History Mentorship program to give you a better idea of what it is that we're trying to do. These languages include English, German, Italian, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Polish, Russian, and Dutch. Of course, I wasn't able to do all languages, so if anyone out there has the ability to do some translations for us, that would be fantastic. Hopefully, this can encourage folks who may not have English as their first language to feel welcome and encouraged to participate. Please make sure, if you're going to apply either as a mentor or a mentee, to note the language you feel comfortable or wish to interact in. Also, if you are multilingual, let people know. Some of the names that have stepped up to act as mentors include Miss Beverly Himmons of Lighting, John Leonard, Sound, Chris Yeager in Production Management and Stagecraft, Jerry McCormish in Props and Theater, Umberto Danino of Scenography, Cliff Williams, Stage Lighting, Wendy Ray Wassett Barrett in Scenic Art and Theater History, Chris Van Houten in Technical History and Stage Machines, Yvonne Dorado in Theater Technology, and of course myself in Theater History and Heritage Research, as well as Lighting and Online Media Production. Please take advantage of this great new program. My guest this week is going to be Associate Professor at Northern Illinois University, Mr. Brandon Wardell. Brandon Wardell is a lighting and scenic designer based out of Chicago, Illinois. He is also an ensemble member of Adventure Stage Chicago, an artistic associate of Steep Theater Company, and an, and an associate professor of lighting design at Northern Illinois University. Brandon is also a member of USA Local 829 and designs regularly. Brandon was one of the first people to be part of the Archiving Technical Theater History Facebook group. It was through him that I was able to see and experience the massive collection of Chicago Opera and Lyric Opera scenic drops, scenery, and model boxes that were once housed near the NIU campus. Pictures are currently available on the Facebook page, as well as online through the NIU website. NIU's drama program recently opened a new facility after a five-plus year odyssey and are hoping to use this space to bring some of that history to the public in the form of lobby displays, along with their regular school performances. Brandon and I had a great talk catching up and talking about how student learning and teaching is changing with new technology. Now, we did have a few glitches in the audio, but that shouldn't take away from what you are about to hear. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Enjoy. Hey everyone, I know you were expecting to jump right into our latest episode of the podcast, but guess what? I've got another announcement. 
I'd like to announce that after speaking with Beverly Emmons of the Lighting Archive page recently, we have agreed on a collaboration to create a greater link between her non-for-profit organization and our audience of researchers, students, and collaborators. In this way, we both can begin to help plant new seeds and continue the cross-pollination process, growing and fostering a healthy culture of awareness and appreciation for the technical and design arts. Please help me welcome Beverly Emmons and the Lighting Archive to our growing family. The Lighting Archive is described as, modern theatrical lighting is a unique art form whose history until now has been exceedingly difficult to study due to limited access to original lighting documents. The Lighting Archive website is developing a collection of actual plots, focus charts, and cue sheets from real shows. We will place an emphasis on historical productions and designers who have made important contributions to our field. The Lighting Archive is currently a volunteer effort. The grants received so far have been used to build the website and its content management system so that we can put up more content by ourselves. If you are moved to help out, please go to the website for the New York Foundation for the Arts at nyfa.org. That's nyfa.org, where you will find us under fiscal sponsorship, Beverly Emmons backslash The Lighting Archive. As we are a sponsored artist project, your contribution is entirely tax deductible. Members of the advisory committee are Ken Billington, Eric Cornwell, Beverly Emmons, Jules Fisher, Vivian Leon, John McGraw, Richard Pilborough, Marilyn Renage, Steve Terry, and Kenton Yeager. Web development, Asher Robinson, Max Smith. Donors, Electronic Theater Controls, Marilyn Renage, Pat Collins, Jules Fisher, Richard Pilborough, Sonny Sonnenfeld, the Seattle Foundation, the Chapman Foundation. If you or an, an organization or group who wishes to, to discuss a possible collaboration or project, please email, email me at archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, if you are an organization or group who wishes to discuss a possible collaboration or project, you can reach me at my email, archivett24. That's A R C H. I-V-E-T-T-2-4 at yahoo.com. Thanks, and enjoy the show. And we are now recording. We are live. And I would like to welcome to this latest episode of the podcast, lighting designer, scenic designer, professor, historian, <laughs> all-around theatrical production superstar, Mr. Brandon Wardell. How are you today, Mr. Brandon Wardell? I'm good. How are you? I, 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 I learned that you came from a very important design meeting with your son. Yeah, that's true. The all-important Lego scenic design training. And, and, they say, and they say design can't happen at any age. Come on now. <laughs> exactly. You got to teach them young, right? Absolutely, you gotta start somewhere. If it wasn't Lincoln Logs and Tinker Toys, now it now it's Legos. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you are a designer. You are based out of Chicago, mm -hmm. and uh, as I'm reading your uh, your your about here on your uh, your, your um, web page, says you are an ensemble member of Adventure State Chicago, an artistic associate of Steep Theater Company, and an assistant professor of lighting design at Northern Illinois University, and 
You are a proud union member of USA Local 829. That is true. Although I was recently uh, granted tenure, so I'm now associate professor of lighting design at NIU. Excellent. Excellent. How is life at NIU? Uh, it's good. You know, we finally put our new building back together and uh, starting to kind of rebuild our program after a little bit of hiatus. But um, but we've certainly got the, the room to grow now. You know, we've got a huge new black box theater and uh, new computer labs with uh, with uh, 3D printers. It's it's really great. You know, we've got a ton of new lighting equipment, which is really wonderful. And we quadrupled the size of our scene shop. So our capabilities are now greatly improved. We just need to find the student body to support it. Right. Now that that process that started that process started what about five years ago? Yeah, I think uh, I think the last time that you came out there, we had just started the uh, uh, sort of knocking things down, and then because of the various budgetary problems that you know the state of Illinois had, it wasn't until last year that we were able to move into the space, and uh, and we're still fighting some problems with it. But uh, we hopefully are are sort of fully functional as of next year. Right. So yeah, because one of our one of, of the many commonalities that you and I have, um, other than working in the professional uh, theater community in Chicago, as well as now being educators, uh, is our um, connection to uh, theater history, as well as our connection to theater history. Yeah, I know there was a there was a blip there. I got it. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. The joys, the joys of internet. Um, so let me let me start again. So our commonality is obviously working in the the, the theater community in Chicago, um, uh, the being educators and uh, and theater historians. Because um, actually, my first connection to through, to you was through your brother, right? Um, uh, and his work at um, where was it? He was at ILC. Now, did he? Now he worked at. Did he work at Chicago Scenic as well? I can't remember. He worked. He worked at Left Wing Scenic, and then for Design Lab, and okay. then for ILC, and now he works for Axis right. in Louisville. Right. And uh, through through him, I met you, and then we started um, learning about you. Actually, brought me to NIU, right. and showed me the this huge warehouse of drops and things that was of Chicago opera history. Um, could you actually kind of just give a, a background of how not only did NIU acquire all this stuff, but how you became familiar with it. Um, in the early 90s, I think it was, uh, we were granted a large amount of, uh, of opera scenery as well as a whole collection of uh, maquettes, so, so model boxes, um, much of which came from the Lyric Opera, but some other stuff too. And these were, you know, are 100 years old many of them. Uh, and, and so they're all painted with like aniline dyes and all sorts of toxic, wonderful things. But in the, the summer of 92 or 93, I can't remember, they rolled out all of these beautiful drops and photographed them. Mm -hmm. And then they rolled them back up again. And basically the state of Illinois told us that we weren't really allowed to touch them again. But amongst those things are like a chandelier and, um, uh, a chandelier and a couple of props designed by Robert Edmund Jones. You know, there are some really wonderful, lovely, hand-built uh, pieces of scenery and furniture that are that are wonderful. And, and you know, we take good care of those. And in fact, we have a a bunch of them sort of specially displayed in the new theater lobby. 
right now. And then we have all of these maquettes, and we've been trying to figure out how to display them because basically they're all hidden away right mm-hmm. now. It's, you know, kind of a, a classic story of, of having a bunch of wonderful historical artifacts and then not really being able to do anything with them. And so, uh, so we haven't quite cracked that yet, but we're also in the process of moving almost everything we have to a more climate-controlled, safer location. And I think once we, once we sort that out, then we can kind of get back on the subject of, uh, of what to do with those maquettes specifically. You know, um, Al Aducci is the one who initially got those for NIU and was a part of the acquisition of that. And so he actually still has some sort of ownership over okay. it, so they're not exactly ours to do with what we please, but um, but they're really wonderful. And you know, we'll have we'll have three acts of the same of the same production. You know, f- complete full color models, and then some of that scenery in its final form, which is really wonderful. So the 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 place that you brought me to, which was a, a warehouse, which was like a multi use warehouse, which was kind of like, you know, you pay rent and you get a space kind of kind of thing. You had a, an enormous space, and I remember at one point. Um, you're talking about that there was uh, that the building was either damaged or there was flood or what whatever happened to. I mean, obviously you're talking about have, having mo- or moving that stuff. So I assume that that building got torn down. It got the the building is still there. And what happened is we got about three feet of water in that building. Oh wow! A couple of years ago, and much of that stuff and most of our costumes were all stored on ground level. And so we lost just a ton of soft goods through that flood. And I think the ultimate fate of those historical, um, especially the really tall drops, because you might be talking about 30 or 60 foot wide drops that were just stored on end. And so the water just kind of wicked right up, right up that fabric. And I even on the archiving technical theater history page, I was sort of asking people for any sort of help, like what did they think we should do to to remedy this stuff? And so at this point, we still have those things. We've we've culled a great deal of our of our costume stock, um, but we still have stuff in. In that space. Is pretty intense. So, uh, so the things that were up on shelves, those are okay. But anything that was stored on ground level, it may just have to be written off as as a loss, which is yeah. a real shame. Yeah, because I know that um, of in, in in that same group you're talking about, um, I've had a lot of opportunity, and I, I don't know if you've met her, uh, Wendy Wasit Barrett. Um, via via the website, she and I have talked a lot. Yeah, but. she she's she's been a huge help in in. Because there, there, there is so much of that I had, I had no idea. And I actually had the opportunity to go, when I went to the USITT, this past one, and she went to the Scottish Rite and got to see how she did her work. That's right. That's right. I remember seeing photos of that, which was really amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty spectacular, this stuff that's kind of in, yeah, either in plain sight or it's in plain sight and nobody you know, takes the time to, to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were saying that your, your your new school theater space now there there's places now for some of this material to have have a have a life. Um, is it uh, is it archived in some way? I mean I, I know you did 
um, you said you talked about photographs and things like that. But as it's presented, are, are we saying this is this is a sponsored collection, or how, do, how is it presented? That that's what we're still trying to figure out. Our hope is, you know, we've got this huge lobby, and our hope is that we can get some sort of freestanding um, plexi-covered like plinths that we could do a rotating collection of maquettes mm -hmm. in out in that space. But of course, that represents a monetary need, and those things aren't aren't cheap. And so for now, they're they're still housed in the same room. The, the room that the maquettes were in is actually climate controlled and and was spared sort of any of that damage. Mm -hmm. um, but so what we're hoping to do is actually make them accessible to the students on campus because part of the problem with our students learning sort of model building skills and crafting skills is that they just don't see any expert examples. You know, everything everything has gone so hardcore digital that even even when they need to be able to build something with their hands outside of scenic painting, it's uh, it's becoming kind of a lost art. And so what we want to do is be able to, again, maybe be able to make these things available to them so that they can see what is actually possible on a small scale. And I think, you know, those are, they're all quarter inch models. Um, it's just that those opera houses are so big. So mm -hmm. the model boxes themselves are enormous. Um, but but it's, it's sort of evolving as with everything else. Um, I'm certainly a big proponent of having them out and, and, and available to people, as are our scenic designer and our costume designer. It's just that everyone else is so busy at this point that, that making that happen just has been pretty low on the priority list, unfortunately. Got it. Now, you, 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 that's a very interesting point you made about people going hardcore digital because of not only of ease and because everybody has a computer nowadays. Um, I, I have had conversations with various colleagues where they say, um, what type of program are we, are we creating? Are we creating something where everybody leaves with a skill and in the sense of model making or, or drawing or drafting or something like that? Or are we teaching them conceptual design and that it's, you know, you, we can create all this fantasy world and things like that, but you don't necessarily have the tactile sensation of knowing this is scale and, and things like that. And I'm, I'm kind of curious as to, as to with, with your program, you know, where do you, how do you create a, are you trying to create a balance or is it trying to be more skill? Or uh, how, how, how are you going to approach it? I mean, that is sort of like the, the existential question of every theater department right now, I think. And you know, ours in particular uh, has, has an, an interesting balance, a sometimes challenging balance, but an interesting balance of people who basically only make theater and then uh, people who do mostly industrials or mostly corporate design or mostly touring design. And so uh, so their understanding or their idea of what are the most useful skills for a practitioner coming out of our program maybe is different than mine because I am strictly a designer for like theater and opera and dance, right? Mm. That's really all I do. Uh, and it's really because I want it that way. Um, you know, I could I could go do shows with Justin and Axis and that wouldn't be a problem. And I may well do that. than I'm really interested in. And, you know, our students come to, uh, specifically looking for a BFA in theatrical design. That is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So theatrical design and technology, we are the Department of Theater and Dance. So it's my understanding, or at least my firmly held belief, that we should be training theater practitioners. Um, but our sort of mission statement is to be a professional training program. 
So that's where that's where that push and pull really happens. And so basically the way that we've let it sort out is that we have a list of um, a list of of crafts classes and a list of design classes. And you have to take a mix of all of them with the idea that our students come out of this program having, you know, welded and having done stage makeup and having, you know, worked with leather and done scenic painting, do all these things. But also they've had to take scenic and lighting and costume design. And, you know, they've taken 3D drafting, but then they've also taken hand drafting. So we've tried to we've tried to make a balance of those things. But the truth is, unless unless that balance is very strictly maintained by the professors running the actual program, mm -hmm. the student's natural tendency is to never set foot in a library, never buy any sort of materials that they have to actually draw with and to let everything be on the computer. And it's honestly a challenge for us too, for me especially, you know, one of the things that I've really been delving into and, and I'm going on sabbatical in the spring specifically to, to start investigating kind of different aspects of digital pre-visualization and how that works with current lightboard technologies. You okay. know, because I can, I can build a digital world and program all the light cues and plug it into a real lightboard and actually just run the show. Uh, so I'm going to be doing sort of a survey on, on what are most accurate, what are sort of the best for students, what make the most sense for theater versus other things, et cetera. But so when our students see us going so digital, it's really hard for them to understand that, that yes, that's what we're doing now. But also for 20 years, I was doing, I was drawing with my hands, you know, and making photographs and doing all of these things that are very tactile, graphic art based uh, skills. They want to sort of skip over that. And that's problematic. So it's, it, it's a hard, it's a hard line to tell. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting you talk about going on a sabbatical because I'm, actually going on one uh, in October and I'm going, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> and I'm actually going to a, 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 a university in, in Germany and in which they teach sonography. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a, it's, I'm going as a guest student. I'm not going as a, as a full-time student, but I'm going to register for the classes and, and participate in, but it's, I have found that, you know, with, all, all this time that's that's happened between when I graduated and, and now, you know, I, there are just things that either have passed me by, I don't know the vocabulary anymore, or there's been such advancements in it that, you know, I don't know, you know, what, what I, how I understood how to draft or how to present something is wildly different nowadays. And to go back, because uh, like I said, I, I've, I've said to myself about the students, I said, myself how can i present them a skill that i don't quite understand as much anymore you know mm -hmm. they grew up in a computer world and i grew up in a half hand drafting hand drawn all this and computers but computers weren't to the point where they are now right yeah i mean uh when i was in grad school which was i finished grad school 12 years ago so i guess let's say 15 years ago when i started grad school mm -hmm. uh the not only did none of the faculty there do anything on the computer other than Photoshop, but they didn't believe in it. Now, I can tell you that Northwestern does not run their program that way anymore. Right. But those of us who were at school then basically found ourselves in this position where we just had to teach ourselves these programs if we wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
And so I find myself, you know, in, in a position where I'm wanting to help my students not have to go through that because it's really hard. Like Vectorworks and AutoCADs are, are insanely complicated programs. Um, but I also, so like I want to help them and help them not like fall into these pitfalls that I have, that I've encountered. But also I feel like they kind of need to, they kind of need to go over those road bumps. They need to, they need to, they need to have to pull themselves out of that. And that's how they really get to understand the program. But I don't all their Uh oh. Oh, there we go. There you go. Okay. What'd you lose? What'd you oh, lose? No, I, I, when you when you when you stopped at um uh going through the road bumps. Oh, all right. I uh, I guess what I was saying is um that that I feel like they need to be able to figure out how to save themselves from the mistakes they've made within these programs, but I don't want them spending all of their time figuring out an interface when they've got their hand and a piece of paper in front of them that doesn't require that level of separation. And really the thing that they need to be figuring out is how to, how to work within a production team to design a piece of theater, mm -hmm. right? Where I'm not there to teach them computer science or to teach them 3D drafting. Like, if they're interested in that, great, you can pursue that. But as a theater department, they need to be reading plays and talking about performance. And uh, and so I think I think that's that's the challenge right now is that when they can just make a video game out of anything, you know, what do you need the actors for? Uh, yeah, you know, I've 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 heard many of that argument. Um, one of the one of the, the tricky things is. Uh, the speed in which in which they accumulate stuff and the way they, they, they things because you know I this this is the sad thing about getting older is you want to slow things down and they want to speed things up. Right. And trying to find that balance because there are a lot of times where I'm like, okay, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll let you keep going. But once you get to that point where you get stuck, I go, okay, here are the instructions. Yeah, this, right. <laughs> this, this, you know, this is how we get this thing to interface with that thing, you know, I, I, I'm not chastising it. I mean, that's just the process. It's just how it's happening. Totally. But I, you know, at this, again, I'm at the lat this last USITC, when I got an opportunity to, to speak with all the, the young designers and the young designers forum, mm -hmm. and I got to see their work. Um, part of me was nostalgic because I'm like, Oh, I remember this <laughs> kind of process of going through it, but I was blown away by just the skill. You know, I, I don't remember building thing, uh, um, models like that. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I wasn't the greatest model builder in the world. You know, I wasn't the great dra greatest draftsman in the world. But to see this real talent and then getting to see someone of, of the upper echelons of, of, of that talent, um, the, the work of Paul Brown. And, and even his, what they would call his kind of off drawings were, were, were brilliant. Right. Were just brilliant. And there, there. I don't say I don't feel like I have imposter syndrome because I feel like I've, I've put, put put my work in. But there are days where it's clear, you know, like the, the differences in talents that uh, you know that you find not only abroad but in, in schools as well because students are just so different. Oh yeah. How 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 do you approach um, students of different talents? I mean, there are some that get their hearts set on. I want to be. A scenic designer, and you you're looking at the work, and you're going, it 
for you, it's you don't say you obviously don't vocalize this to them. You don't say, well, it's going to be some work here, but <laughs> maybe you should try, you know, something else. And then you have students who say, I've got my heart set on being a scene designer, and all of a sudden they find stage management and they fall in love. So how how do you how do you help navigate with the, the those pitfalls or those things with students? I mean, it's 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 uh. So there's sort of two answers here because we have both a BFA and a BA and an MFA program mm -hmm. uh, that that can all sort of take classes within my purview. You know, as, as lighting director, I'm teaching all of the design based classes and like for for lighting and then like portfolio classes. And I do um, sort of like uh, they assist me on productions. Or they assist me professionally. You know, I sort of deal with all that mentorship. And there's somebody else that deals with uh, my master electrician, Chris Kraszewski who deals with like all of the lighting technology side, which is great because it becomes really clear for the students and for us, like that there's, there's sort of one side and the other side and we're always working together, but I don't necessarily have all the answers for right. you. Um, but, but what's, so let me see. So for our design technology program, we specifically don't allow them to actually specialize in lighting or scenic or costumes or props but they can de facto specialized in their junior and senior year because they have electives they can people oh are we back yeah we are okay great um so so our our our, our uh, department sort of de facto allows them to specialize by by giving them a number of electives that they can take at the higher the three and four hundred level courses um and some of our students do definitely sort of go the scenic td route until their senior year and like oh actually i like actors a lot i'm gonna stage manage like you said like that totally happens um or scenic to costumes or whatnot um but personally what i try to do is that if a student comes to me and says they are interested in lighting then i because I'm, I'm also an advisor, I absolutely front load like all of the lighting technology courses so that they can actually be doing these things and working as an electrician because what they did in high school has nothing to do with how the professional world works. And our shop is, is really well run. Um, and if they sort of go through those two years of classes, because they don't get to my lighting design class until the junior year generally, if they're still interested, um, then they assist me on basically everything. You know, I, a couple of years ago, I hired a, a senior who wanted to do a special sort of capstone project. And I was like, great. I have four shows in a row professionally. Just come assist me on every single one of them. And she did. And then she, you know, is uh, she just took a, a position at a production design facility in Florida, mostly doing sort of corporate stuff. But but she spent two years on cruise ships, really figuring out what she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um. And and sometimes there are students where you just you know in their senior year they ask you you ask they ask you for a recommendation, and you just have to say like, uh, I'm not sure I can give you the recommendation you want. You know sometimes if we're in a situation like it's USITT or SETC, I can say specifically like I know this person at um, Santa Fe Opera, go talk to them, or I know this person at you know. Um, Cirque du Soleil, go talk to that person. I know this person at Chicago Fire, et cetera, uh, to try to get them like a foot in the door. But, you know, as with anything, most of the time it's up to them. Right. And if they're not willing to do that legwork to get that internship or to get that apprenticeship or whatnot, 
then I can't help them. And and uh, I don't know if this is, I don't know how big a generalization I can make of this, but at least among the population that comes to my school, a lot of these kids are uh, young adults, are first time college goers in their family. Mm-hmm. They're certainly the first one to study anything in the arts. And so I think there's a lot of pressure on them. Uh, and I don't know if it's more familial or if it's following sort of the, the big recession we just had. But they all feel like coming out of college, they need to be making money and should be making a lot of money. And all I can say is like, this is a golden time in your life. Mm-hmm. You should get a cheap apartment with a friend and go work at every regional theater in Chicago. There are a lot of them. You can do it. And occasionally one of them, you know, takes me up on that. But more likely they work for upstaging or they work for ILC or they, they go to work for one of these other companies because that's where they see the stability. Right. You know, and I think you and I didn't really take that path. But also the first decade of this century was a different world than the one yeah. that they're coming into. Yeah, I I never worked for a corporate entity. Me neither. Um, you know, I... I did, when I left undergrad, I went and did summer stock in the Northeast. Um, and then I got picked up to build scenery at uh, Syracuse stage for a year. And then I, that, that had run its course and then came back to Chicago. And like you said, it was like, where can I work? Because I worked at Royal George. I worked at Court Theater. I worked at what was... Um, what, what the very the, the early Steppenwolf one? It was it was on uh, Halsted. I can't remember. It, it's gone now. Ah, um, oh, crap! It became a Comedy Zone or something. Comedy. Yeah. comedy. I know what you're talking about. I couldn't tell you what it had been, but yeah. Yeah, it's like twenty six hundred something Halsted. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, as as I understood, that was just kind of how you did it. I, mm-hmm. No, 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 uh, no plan. Um, yeah, there is a, a, a weird disconnect because there's this, I need immediate now, and it's like, and, and, and if you read any um, uh, articles about people who've had long careers or things like that, they were, there's a commonality of, I started here and slowly works, you know, my way to this, or I, in that job, I met someone and that's what gave me the trajectory to, to go. I mean, rare is the person that stopped, starts somewhere and, and all of a sudden becomes a giant. I mean, th- that talent is, is very few and rare. Um, but you, you were talking about your, your, your design and, and when the students come to you. you. You've had the opportunity to see a lot of the, the tools change, as have I. Um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to look at uh, Clifton Taylor's um, book on the LED lighting, or um, I, he just recently gave a, uh, a video um, presentation in Spain uh-huh, yeah. um, about, about, that, about that subject. And I know there's, it's going to, it's like going from, oh, gas lighting to electric lighting. Oh, this will never replace it. Oh, this is never going to change. There's a lot of hemming and hawing about it. Um, how have you felt that uh, the, the, the evolution of, of technology, how has it changed you? And, and is it positive changes, different changes, negative changes? What, what, what do you feel about it? Um, well, that's a complicated question, isn't it? 
Um, I, I never ask small questions. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I think that things are so much easier than they used to be. I mean, they really are. You know, we can... I mean, if, if any any one of the design disciplines uh, or any, of any of the of any of the design disciplines that were like begging for a more digital, more integrated workflow, it was lighting and sound design, right? Because we were hand drafting plots and handwriting paperwork, and then like it was there were so many ways to screw things up. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, we had these lights that had 30 or 40 or 50 parameters for them, except we, when you looked at an expression console or an express console, right, it would just take up channels 1 through 36, and there was no way to, like, package that, no different kind of interface with it. And, uh, and, and you know, I mostly use ETC. I'm in the Midwest. Of course I do, right? Mm -hmm. And just the way that, like, the Nomad system and the EO system are, are packaged make it so much easier to interface with a whole lot of really complicated lighting equipment. Right. But also, you know, I can spec all of that in Vectorworks and without exporting or translating anything, I can pull that up in Lightrite and then I can export that patch directly to the lightboard. And it's just a one-to-one -one connection. I mean, it's amazing. And, uh, and you know, the LED... LED instruments, I think, are sort of like a curse and and a windfall for us. You know, the the curse is that people don't have to make decisions because they can make almost any color they want. And therefore, the designs either end up looking like a rainbow on stage or they haven't thought through the play as well as they need to. That being said, if you're, you know, if I'm halfway through tech and we realize that that the first six scenes of the play all sort of look the same. It's really easy to create some variety in there when we have things like movers or like LEDs to to dramatically change how things look on stage with only maybe a simple alteration. Have, have, uh, have, yeah, have, go ahead. have you noticed that your relationship or your association with color has evolved? Because there is clearly, you know, you put a piece of Lee 202 in a gel and and you want to recreate that in an led format and you're going to get this argument that they're they're noticeably different on, on some level and you know i i would i have an agree because you know color temperature is different the way that you're the, the, the mixes are being done but that's just my opinion i i'm curious this is someone who does it with a certain amount of regularity you know had have you as your association changed. Yeah, I mean, you know what's what's interesting is definitely not only have my designs become more saturated in terms of color, mm -hmm. especially, you know, I work at a lot of small theaters. We don't have a whole lot of inventory to throw at sort of like strong color ideas. You kind of just have to pick one or two and that's what you end up with. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the ability to create strong colors on stage has definitely changed how I think about what a what a performance looks like but it's also definitely changed the the range of gel colors that I use in my um, conventional instruments mm. you know I used to use uh, I used to use uh, Roscoe 60 and 62 and 362 a lot and 
what I've discovered is that the colors that I'm choosing with the LEDs make those just look kind of green and horrible. And so I've actually switched back to the Lee 200 series um, because I find that they play together more nicely, at least in the way that I'm using LEDs. Mm. You know, I didn't worry so much about simultaneous contrast on stage uh, maybe 10 years ago and like unexpected things happening as your eye sort of sort of white balances towards the saturated green or the saturated red that I've put on stage. But now I have to think about it all the time. Mm. And you have to have a way to to counterbalance some of those kind of like horrible mismatches that can happen that um, that you just certainly weren't expecting. Mm. Um, and, and some of that has to do with, with the, the type of LED fixture that I'm using. You know, if I have a whole bunch of like, you know, um, if I have a whole bunch of ETC source for LED twos, it's a definitely a different story than if I have 24, you know, $20 knockoffs from China. Sure. You know, the, the, the spectrum is just so different. I feel like you can actually be quite successful either way in terms of color. Uh, dimmer curve is dimming curve is is another story, but um, but yeah, for sure. You know, it's it, at least at least for me, it's kind of uh, created a more vibrant world that I really appreciate. I, I like the way direction that my art's going in um, because of these tools. You th is 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 storefront theater still the viable proving ground for young designers, or is there? Because now there's a variety of, of, of places now that are, that, are, that are doing things, you know, whether it's um, concerts or festivals or, or things like that, is, is for people who say they are in theater, do, is, because like I said, I mean, I, lear I really learned how to use the six by nine and certain instruments by doing theater in really unusual places. Right. Um, is that is that still the characteristic today? Because I, I I've been out of Chicago now for a decade, um, and you know I remember you know I don't know if the House Theater is still oh yeah with the the Chopin I don't know if Steep was over at Sheffield and Irving Park yes uh, Sheridan Sheridan, Sheridan. Irving Park and we've actually been in our new our new space for almost a decade now as well which is a uh, by the the Berwyn Red Line stop. Okay. Um, it's <laughs> it's interesting that you ask that because it. I'm gonna say both yes and no. Okay. You know when when we or at least when I was when I was first first coming up in Chicago, you know basically our day job was hanging and focusing lights at Chicago Shakespeare or Steppenwolf or something like that, and then we were designing shows at these smaller theater companies, and what seems to have happened, and maybe it's just to me and the people I know. But a whole lot of us have have matured into storefront designers that also work at bigger houses. You know, I did a show at Writers and at Steppenwolf last year, but most of my shows are at Steep or in one of these smaller places. And I'm certainly a mature designer. You know, it, it's it's not like I'm just up and coming. I have students that are gig getting gigs that I wish I was getting. But. Uh, <laughs> But but so some of them have totally taken that route and it's absolutely worked. And some of them have specialized a little bit more specifically. And in Chicago, you know, you can you can just do television and there's plenty of things to do. You can do movies. There's plenty of stuff to do. I've got a, a former student who used to assist me on everything who has made an incredibly successful career 
of um, doing lots of dance concerts, kind of like Jacob Snodgrass did, and uh, and then also doing storefront theater, and that's how he's you know sort of paying his way right now. Um, so it's it's maybe maybe a little bit of both, you know. They certainly the storefront theater scene in Chicago is as as vibrant as ever. Mm. And maybe I just have survived sort of like the culling over time that seems to happen where people just sort of spin off. But um, I tend to work with a lot of us. Uh, there's certainly no shortage of productions that need designers. Right. And certainly, uh, there's no shortage of theater companies that don't have a lot of money and are looking for people to sort of prove their stuff. And so that is that is definitely still a factor, but I think that things have have also changed a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, just in you know, in that that designing a storefront show can be as good for your career as designing anything else. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, speaking of, of that, I, I know that um, there there is obviously evolution of of lighting equipment. I remember. I, 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 the guy's name was Matt, and I can't remember his last name, and it's going to kill me because it's going gonna, it's gonna to jump right into my head. He moved to Colorado. He's now in Colorado. But um, he had come to Trinidad at one point to do the Coco Dance Festival. Mm. And he was uh, – and that, that, this was four or five years ago. I think he was still at Texas Tech. And um, he was talking about how he saw in the future at some point a mixture of a projector and a lighting unit. That this was that for him, that was the next evolution or the next revolution of, of what is to come. But if you could think of something that you would like to, 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 to see or would like to see an amalgam of, what is something that is in the future of, of lighting? Well, I, I think that that, that is like for sure where things are going, you know, like in Richard Cadena's book from, from a while ago, you know, he, he says explicitly that he's like, there's, we're already doing it in moving lights. And so the question becomes sort of like, how, how big does that onboard engine get and how variable does it become? You know, uh, because, because right now having to sort of, you know, mechanically put shutters in or to put a, a template in, you know, like, like in order to create shapes and things, we have to put other stuff in front of the light. Mm -hmm. And I think that there will probably be come a time when we're when we're sculpting it a little bit more um, with a little bit more finesse. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think that'll be a bad thing, except that you know the the learning curve is going to be hard. Okay. And I think that the quality of productions is going to be hard. And you know, like like you were saying before, when when the, when it was the shift was from you know oil to to gas everyone thought oh my god it's so bright i can't stand it when they went from gas to electricity the same thing ha happened and when we look at the lighting levels that were available via via electric lights you know 100 years ago like that that would never be acceptable on stage right now i can't see anybody you know it's and so i think it's going to be similar you know like right now whenever whenever production projections comes up in a, especially in like a small space i I try not to roll my eyes and shake my head because I just want to say, like, we don't have the equipment to successfully make this happen. Um, and and I think that 
on some level, I fear that lighting designers are all going to become content creators mm -hmm. or that somehow we're going to kind of like diverge. And instead of having a projection designer and a lighting designer, we're going to have sort of like uh, a visibility designer and a content creator and someone will be in charge of getting all of that on stage. Mm -hmm. You know, that does always seem to be the problem. Either you have either you have an artist who's trying to also be like the projections tech or you have a projections programmer and someone's responsible for creating that content, but whose job is that? Right. You know, I've, I've, I've I remember at one point that I think this is more of a necessity was what was uh, lighting designers were their own programmers. Absolutely. And, and as, as we've seen because of cost and, and people not wanting to hire a second person, a lot of designers build themselves as programmer designers. And they sat at the board and they had a little bit more of a, a technical interaction. So they were playing both sides, um, which I, I, you know, I, I generally don't have a problem with. I, I'm a very like, if it's my thing, I want to I wanna be the person that's, that's working on it because right. I, I, you know, to, to go from, I'm looking on stage to telling someone in a headset to do something that I'd be like, no, I need it like this. And you're like, give it to me, I'll do it. You know, I, I, I don't know if the days of, of, of the separate designer programmer are, are necessarily going to go away anytime soon, but I know that at least on the smaller scale, when, when budgets are very small, that tends to be the, that tends to be the norm um, and not the exception. If there is uh, something that, uh, that you wish students, a concept that you find students having struggling with or that you hope that they would have a better understanding of what do you think that would be in terms of design or production? What do you think is something that even, even today people are still not quite getting? I think that a lot of students uh, and young designers can't differentiate between the two things you were just saying, right? Like who, what is the designer's job? Is it to, is it to program the board and get light on stage? Or is it to work conceptually with the director and all of the actors and and the other members of the production design team and to create a piece of art on stage? And for a lot of young designers, I think those two things are one and the same. Mm -hmm. And so for them and for, for my grad students, definitely, having a programmer is actually incredibly important because it gets them out of that. Right. You know, a lot a lot of grad students come from from a situation where they were designing small shows and like being an M.E., on, on larger shows and so excuse me so they come in uh to a, a a grad program and i was definitely exactly this way you know i came in having been a tv and an electrician mo more than anything else had a really hard time of understanding how to dissociate themselves from like the oh but it would be so much easier if i designed this all in four by eight sheets or it would be so much easier if i you know if i channel the lights in this way because I know how the cable runs work upstairs and I'm trying to reduce the amount of work on those people and instead aren't focused on what is the absolute most important thing here and then figuring out where the balance lies between like what's the one hard thing that I'm going to ask for versus what are what are some of the ways that I can make I can get what I need but also make this easier on people mm. and I think I think that just comes with experience you know like when I, when I first started doing lighting design, I certainly didn't understand that difference either. And, mm -hmm. and grad school was an incredibly different, difficult experience 
focus for me because I went in and for the first semester, I was just banging my head against the wall because my understanding was like, oh, well, I'm going to build it. So I'm going to design it like this or, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the master electrician for it. So I'm going to design it like this. So model building and drafting classes were great. I loved them. The design classes were incredibly difficult and collaboration classes too. And at some point, a switch flipped. And all of a sudden I was talking about story instead of talking about production. Mm. And I think that's the divide that's so hard, uh, which is why I think it's so important that students really get, uh, that, that they really get exposed to both. Because sometimes you've just loaded in a giant set and you have four hours to tech your show and let's just do it and make it happen. And sometimes we're gonna have, you know, <laughs> we're gonna rehearse eight hours a day, five days a week tech rehearsals for two weeks and then open the show and in fact they're going to have previews where they don't expect the designers to come in because they're working so hard to get the acting right that they figured the tech's in place by then and if they need you they'll call you you know it's a very different way of thinking about about how performances are created Mm -hmm. and so so that's the thing that i think everyone still struggles with and because there are so many more technologies that make it so much easier to do all of it yourself it, uh, I think it's actually making it harder for them. I really do. Okay. So um, with, uh, with that being said, what is, what is next for you? What are, what are what, I mean, obviously you're still designing, um, you're teaching. Uh, I know that probably takes up a lot of brain space and a lot of you know, your, your, your physical time, but um, is there a project? Is there something that's just kind of a little outside of both of those that, you know, you wish people knew more about or, or something that we like, this deserves a little bit more attention. And I'd like to advocate for a program. Uh, and this may be self-serving, but because, like you said, you know, I, I work in a lot of these weird little spaces in Chicago and I love it. I would rather be three feet from an actor than 40 feet from an actor on like a Broadway stage. You know, like I would rather be right there in it, watching it, sort of feeling it in that room. And so the thing that I'm always advocating for, and this is this is like a tester question at Erda's when I'm recruiting grad students. You know, I say, here's the kind of work that I do. What's the kind of work that you're interested in? And half the time they'll say, well, I'd really like to be on Broadway someday. And I say, you know, you should probably go to a school on the East Coast then. Like that is probably the place you want to be because you you should go to a school located in a place that is a theater program that you're excited about. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, I'm excited about, about working with Steep. I'm excited to see where we go. We just win equity. That's going to change a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm really sort of, I don't know how I want to say this. Um, I've been teaching, uh, you know, I've been teaching lighting designers how to basically do what I do for the last 10 years or so. And and one of the things that I'm going to study on this sabbatical is is uh, how can we utilize all of this new infrastructure, this new uh, these these new new things that are available to us, right? All these new resources and these these programs and things. How can we use those to more effectively teach students as opposed to treating those like something that you shouldn't don't play with that until you're older, you know? I really want to want to work on some ways to integrate integrate these new things so that rather than an impediment, they're actually uh, being 
being used in my classes as a way to facilitate storytelling. Um, I've been I've been going pretty full throttle nonstop on design and teaching and raising a three year old, you know, for the last several years. And uh, and the spring is looking like a little bit of a step back. And I think that's actually going to be going to be really healthy for me. You know, last year was the busiest I've ever had. And this fall is absolutely crazy. Um, you know, I've got two shows that I'm going to open this month. And then after November, things are going to calm down. And I think we're going to start then down this this uh, this honing of my teaching uh, through the new te technological means available to us. That's great. That's great. Because, you know, there's, uh, there, there's that point where you really like making yourself crazy because there's just a lot going on. And then you reach a point where it's like, I don't quite need so much crazy. Right. I like it, but it's not quite. And, you know, I there was one thing I when I moved to when I moved to, uh, out of the U.S., I said, I'm going to, to say I'm going to make time for, for, for just personal time just to do something, just to do something mm -hmm. else. Just to, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I I don't. I do check out all the, the materials uh, and I look at a lot of things, but it's not the overruling thing as much in my life anymore. I don't spend, you know, I don't go to the theater at what I used to do was go to the theater at three o'clock, run a show, stay out all night and, re, you know, repeat that process over and over and over again. And you just talk it, you live it and things like that. It's like, I'm okay with that now. And, you know, that, that, that's one thing I, I, I enjoy enthusiasm. But I, I would hope to encourage if the, the students that I have the, the fortunate opportunity to be like, look, have a little balance in your life and be like, I don't need to do everything that comes my way. You know, it may be beneficial, it may be great, but, you know, it's at what point is the sacrifice too great? And now you're missing out on it's the Ferris Bueller, you know, right. look at life. You know, if you don't stop once in a while and look around, you're going to you're going to miss what's going on. And speaking of what's going on, um, I know that you have a professional website, and I know that uh, you have uh, obviously your program at NIU. How do people find, first of all, your professional website? Where do they go? Uh, BrandonWardellDesign.com is, okay. is my professional website. And that has um, not only uh, a portfolio, but it has contact and all the information of how to get a hold of you and see your work? It does. does. It has a... A design section, a process section that shows sort of renderings and some other things there. And it's also got a um, a resume that's needs to be updated, and I'm going to get on that as soon as, <laughs> as soon as I can. Uh, but then it also has you know a sort of curriculum vitae on there, and and links to even further archives of work and that sort of thing. You know, I'm I've always been sort of a painstaking archivist of my work in photographic form, and after a while. My old website became so overwhelming. I was like, I just need to limit this to say ten productions <laughs> and leave it at that. You know, once I crossed the hundred production uh, threshold, it was just like this is this is too much. People don't even know where to look. So it 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 it, it feels good for you, but for right. the rest of the world, you're like, uh, I I the first fifty pictures were nice. I don't need. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, um.
Come on. Oh, oh. maybe. <laughs> maybe. There we go. There we All go. right. Okay, good. We sell down. And then uh, the second thing is uh, your school. So you're at Northern University, Illinois, in DeKalb, Illinois. And how do they learn more about your school's program? Uh, NIU.edu is our university website, but the best way is definitely to talk to me. Talk to you. Uh, talk to me. My my email address, I, maybe even my phone number are on that website. Okay. They should just get in touch with me. I actually had somebody cold call me a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to hopefully meet with him on Thursday. Just he wants to talk about theater in Chicago. He's a professional looking to get into more actual theater as opposed to corporate design. Yeah. And... Uh, and and I found more than one grad student that way too, so yeah. Send me an email. Let's talk. Who knew? Who knew? So, um, is there is there is there is there anything else we need to plug? Any other shows coming up? Some? Are you writing a book? Are you? Are you, <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm just working hard. I've got two shows at Steep Theater back to back. The first is Pomona, which is running now, which is sold out. Um, and then the next will be Mosquitoes, uh, which is going to be pretty great, I think. It's a really hard, interesting play. And this is Midwest or U.S. premiere. I can't remember which. Okay. Uh, and then a production of uh, Midsummer, which is this kind of delightful, let's call it a play with music. Okay. Uh, at, at the Greenhouse Theater Center, which opens uh, later this month. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and um, Greenhouse Theater. That's that's. Oh, where where is that? What used to be Victory Gardens. What used to be Victory Gardens. Okay. On Lincoln. See, names change, and I I never I, I don't remember any of this stuff. Um, well, I uh, I certainly want to thank you. I appreciate finally um, making this happen. Um, uh, uh, I I do want to. I do. I still encourage you. I know you said I wanted to go to, to the PQ, and your work made it there. Uh, I know. Didn't make it there. Oh, so, so sad. Well, you know, I mean, it, it was great. I was like, oh, look, Brandon's here. I can see his face and <laughs> as part of the USATT thing, but he's not here yet. But uh, I know. Next. Eventually happen. You know, eventually. Uh, and uh, I, I, pick, I need to pick your brain about some of these other conferences anyway. So we'll, to be continued. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, again, I want to thank you for your time. I think it's really great, the work that you're doing. I appreciate, you know, you're part of the, the journey of, of the, the Facebook group because, you know, having the opportunity to, to see that, that work, at the, the Chicago Opera, the Lyric Opera, all that, all that stuff, was just, it was just amazing. And it encouraged me to keep moving forward and, 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 and wanting to keep pursuing what it is that I find there's a community for that really mm -hmm. want to know more about. So, um, catch up with you soon. Uh, so. Enjoy your sabbatical. Uh, and uh, I think that's it. Great. Back, back to Lego building. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Rich. It was great okay. to talk to you. Okay. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the podcast. Remember, this podcast is listener-supported, so wherever you get it, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. 
This podcast can be found on such platforms as iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, we can be reached at archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's A-R-C-H-I-V-E-T-T-24 at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Archiving Technical Theater History. We appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.